How many need the Lord this morning? You hear you say amen. I need the Lord. I need you. I need you. <laughs> You're all I need. Amen. Praise God. We thank the Lord today for our choir. Let's put our hands together. Praise God. For As we're ready to uh, get into God's word, I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of you for your, your prayers as we were traveling normally in the month of July. It's a vacation month, and uh, we've not done that, but we have been in and out of town, and uh, it's good to be home. Would you say amen? amen? It's good to be home. I want to get immediately into the word this morning as uh, we're ready to start our God is Love series. And I do want to make a comment just about um, the preachers that have been preaching yeah. uh, since I've been gone. I uh, got a chance to, uh, to listen online and the uh, Lord's just blessed us. Come on, say amen. Uh, Fred Bozeman last week and then last, last uh, Sabbath morning, uh, Daniel Graves. I understand that the Lord blessed him real good as well. And so uh, we're, we're always thankful for our leadership, for our elders who uh, we're always instant in season and out of season and have a powerful word from the Lord. Would you say amen? Were y'all blessed? Uh, yes, good word. Praise the Lord. Uh, nevertheless, let's go ahead and begin. As you know, we're in our God is Love series. There are seven scenes or phases in the story of salvation. There are seven scenes. How many scenes, everybody? There are seven. Let's run through them. As you know, what we have been doing, just for clarity, what we've been preaching on from Revelation 12 is really just dealing with pre-creation. And so really for the past five sermons, I think it has been in this series, we've just dealt with pre-creation. So you can understand why this series will, will really consume uh, from, this, uh, from, from the better part of this year all the way into next year because we're going to be moving systematically through each system. And the goal really is to get you familiar with the story of salvation. I really believe if you get the gospel, if you understand the gospel, then all the other stuff that we try to encourage people to do will come naturally. We were talking in our uh, Go group uh, the other day, and um, one of the things that you'll notice, and I told the class, I said, if you do not hear me preaching the gospel, stand up in the middle of my sermon and tell me to sit down. If I'm not preaching the gospel, and some, some folks are like, oh, pastor, don't, you know, that's that, blah, blah, blah. The Bible says in Galatians chapter four that if I do not, Galatians chapter 1, if I am not preaching the gospel, it says that I am doubly cursed. If we are not teaching the gospel, we're doubly cursed. And really, my philosophy is this. One of the reasons why we have to, why we have to struggle to get people to be in love with Jesus, why we got to bend over our backs to make church overwhelmingly relevant so people like church and like Jesus is simply because you've not been touched by the gospel. If you're touched by the gospel, you don't really need a lot of stimuli to get you to do stuff. I'm, trust me on this. And I, I honestly believe this. And this is why I believe God has led us to this series. I really believe that the majority, a lot of church people came in wrong. We came in fearful. We came in guilty. Not realizing that the word of God says that even before we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so really, Christ, Christ's only motivational piece that he has is love. That's it. He really has nothing else to motivate you to serve him. There's nothing else. He can't pull anything else. After the cross, it's over. There's nothing else. And that's why some people say that, uh, 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 that oftentimes mercy can either make you better or it can make you worse. Because some of us really just kind of take advantage of God's mercy. And so really, I want you to get this. God's only strategy to get you to become what he wants you to become is his love. That's it. That's all he has. Satan can use a multiplicity of things. He can use lies, force, and we're going to see today what his real strategy is. But I want you to understand as we're going through this series that the, the goal of this is to so expose you to the great love story of Jesus that he has for your life that you will no longer need a guilt trip. To do God's will. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. All right. Now, uh, most of the, that, that text sounds real nice and it's real pretty, but I want you to understand what the Bible is saying. The Bible is calling us to death on a regular basis. Matter of fact, living sacrifice means living killing. 
That's what it means. In other words, to be a Christian means that you are to continually suffer and die. That's what Christianity is about. And but but notice now, if Paul would have said it like this, I and this is what we do most of the time in church. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I left out the most important phrase in that entire passage of Scripture that we often leave out in church to get people to do what God told them to do. If I simply said, I beseech you, uh, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. You know what that is? That's fear. That's shame. That is that is manipulation. That's force. That's why Paul had to say this. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, some versions say in view of God's mercies. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, based on what I have done for you and my love and my forgiveness and my mercy and my long suffering, I'm asking you to take the same journey I did. Now, if you're not impressed, if you have not been touched, if you please, by the love of Jesus Christ, then 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 a call to dying. I don't care what the song sounds like. We've written songs on, on, on Romans 12, and it sounds real pretty. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, if it had not been for God's mercy and his grace, I'm not trying to be a living sacrifice. I'm not trying to do that. And you, there's not a breathing person in here right now that wants to naturally be a living killing. The Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And that's Christianity. Christianity is, it is dying daily. And not just in a spiritual sense. Some of you are under the heat of affliction right now. You're suffering right now. That's Christianity. And the only thing that can motivate you to take that journey is to see what great love and what great plan God has for your life. Would you say amen? And so those seven phases really is just an explanation of God's love. But I want you to understand why we're talking about it. We're talking about it because really I'm hoping that we will so fall in love with Jesus. That what, here's the thing, that as we get closer to the end of time, that whatever he asks us to do, we'll be willing to do it. We are getting ready to come to a point in earth's history where the whatever God asks you to do is coming. Many of us think we may have had to make sacrifices. Now, all y'all folk that have studied this stuff for a long time, the kinds of things that are about to go down in the last days are not for, are not for some timey, half-hearted, half-committed Christians. There's no way in the world you will be able to survive. Not even the time of trouble. Let's talk about the pre-time of trouble that Matthew talks about. Matthew says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And he says these will be the beginning of sorrows. And let's face it, in the United States of America, we, we ain't, come on, brothers and sisters. No, no, I'm not trying to downplay our struggle because there are some of us who are going through it. Don't get me wrong. But, but we don't live in war. Your house not about to be bombed. You are not being religiously persecuted. We have not suffered just yet. And, and what I'm saying is it, it is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And listen, if you are going to make it during that time, you have to have more than an intellectual knowledge of God's word. There are certain things that certain people can't get me to do. Like, like a lot of y'all in here. I mean, there's certain things I love you to death, but certain things you can't make me do. You just can't. And there's some certain things I can't make you do. Come on, say amen. amen. You know who can, but you know, you know who I jump over a roof for? You know who I run through a brick wall for? My wife. You know why? Because I love her to death, and she done loved me through some tough times. She can ask stuff of me that everybody else can't. And so here's my point. That ought to be the way your relationship with Christ is. Because you have such a deep connection and relationship with him, and he done done some stuff in your life, he should be able to ask you to do whatever and you don't hesitate. Even if it costs you your life. Some of us don't want to suffer right now on little stuff, and we're talking about dying. So let's, let's look at the last section. This is the last section in pre-creation. The next chapter we're going to go to 40 for family. Uh, the word of God says in Revelation 12, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, all right, the dragon, who's the dragon, everybody? Uh-huh. Saw that he had been hurled to the earth. He pursued the woman. Who's the woman, everybody? Church, God's people. All right. So once he got beat a bunch of times by God, he's like, I'm done dealing with God. I'm about to go fool. I'm about to go get his people. That's the second best thing. If I can get to his people, then maybe I can get to him. All right. The Bible says he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman 
was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Just take a look at that word there, prepared, prepared for her in the wilderness. When the enemy went and chased the church in prophetic history, God positioned, prepared. One version says nourished. Another version says protected her in the wilderness. Now, in my mind, and I hope you're listening here, the wilderness does not sound like a place of protection to me. Nobody goes to the wilderness for vacation. Nobody goes to the wilderness for, for protection. That's why Dubai is such an amazing, uh, you know, it's like an amazing feat. Y'all know about Dubai, right? It's, it's, the, it's the rich folks' playground now. I mean, they just, they're building islands out there in the middle of the ocean. But the thing is, is Dubai is a desert. It's a desert. And if, if, if Las Vegas is a desert. California is a desert. And so most people, most people don't willingly go to a desert unless it has been adjusted to make you comfortable. Come on, say Amen. The word of God says God set up the desert for the church. And we're going to explain what that wilderness time period was to save the church. And in your life right now, how many can testify that your wilderness experiences have been the experiences that have saved your life? If you're not able to look back and say, thank God for the trials, thank God for the situation, then you ain't learned nothing from it yet. God has to give us those wilderness experiences, doesn't he? The Bible says where she, the woman, the church, would be taken care of and gives us very specific limitations on where we can find what happened for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. In other words, God protected the church in a wilderness-like experience for a time, times, and half a time for a certain time period. The Bible has given us clues. Verse 15, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torment. All right. The serpent also, again, reminds us of Genesis 3, where the serpent tempted the woman. So this is some kind of deception going on against the church. And then verse 16 says, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river uh, that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. The river basically is false doctrine, false teaching, deception. But God helped to preserve the church even through that during this time period. Verse 17, last, last text says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman. Now, do you understand why he's angry now? He done tried to go after the baby, failed. He done tried to go after the church, God in heaven, failed. He went after the church one time, failed. He comes after again, and he fails, and so now he's really mad. Now, I just want you to understand, there's only one person that's mad in the great controversy, and that's Satan. It's not God. He ain't mad at nobody. All right? Now, watch this. The Bible says that the dragon was enraged. All right? The Greek word there is on fire. So, you know, when you say you hot, that's where that comes from. He is ticked off because he keeps losing. All right. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest. Now, this is very interesting. Watch this now. The dragon was enraged at the who? Who is the woman? All right. But he can't beat the church. So he, he always goes to what he perceives to be the weakest person. He can't deal with God. He goes, after the, he goes after Christ as a baby. Can't beat the baby, so then he goes after the next name, the church. Couldn't beat the church, so now what does he do? He goes after her children against the rest of her what? Offspring. And who are they? Now watch this. Here, who, who, are, who does Satan have a target on? Those who keep God's commands. In other words, they place a high value on obedience to God's commands. And the second thing that Satan has a target, second group of, uh, second um, criteria that Satan kind of, you know, kind of, whoa, I got, I got to target those. Not only is a high, tar a high value on obedience, but also those who hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. Now, I got to explain this to you very quickly. The, the testimony of Jesus, according to Revelation 19.10, is the spirit of prophecy. So I, I just gave you the code. Who does Satan, who's Satan going after? Those who keep God's commandments and those who are students of prophecy. I'm going to say that again. In these last days, Satan especially, I'm just right there in the word, is not going after the whole church. He's not. Because you'll discover that he has a lot of the whole church already under his spell and his lies. So who does he go after, everybody? He goes after the offspring, those that have come out of the big church. And it's a small group of people. The Bible calls it a remnant. Those that keep God's commandments and those that have, have the testimony or consider or give study to the prophecies of God. Now, most of y'all think that that means the Seventh-day Adventist church. 
The denomination. Come on, say amen. I want to show you what the scripture says. It does not declare that a denomination is those that he is after. It says he is going after those who do it. <laughs> those who keep God's commands and those that hold fast. Just because you are affiliated does not mean that you are a commandment keeper. Does not mean that you give regard to the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you don't lift up Christ with his commandments, then you are not really a remnant. Now, let me break this down also. The word remnant means survivor. That's what remnant means. So case in point, if, if I were to tear a piece of this shirt off, the small piece that I tear off is considered, for those of you who sew, that's the remnant. If there were a group of people who went through the Holocaust or through slavery and a few survived, that surviving group is called the what, everybody? The remnant. So let's be clear on this. Remnant does not mean denominational affiliation. Remnant means those that will remain. So I'm going to let me help you with this. We don't know who the remnant is right now. Because we ain't survived nothing. We will not know who that group is. And if you study carefully the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy, even the remnant won't know that they are the remnant. That's right. That's right. Good work. It says in the last days, there will be many of us uh, uh, going through the time of trouble. She says, without a mediator, and we'll be praying and asking God to forgive sins, and, and that we will be seeking him like Jacob wrestled with the angel, not sure of our, even of our salvation. They're always walking in humility. They never got their heads lifted up, walking around claiming that they're the remnant. They don't do that stuff. We do that because we're trying to isolate and separate ourselves and distinguish ourselves. What, this, what should distinguish you is that you're committed to Jesus and you're committed to doing what he said. Don't worry about trying to distinguish yourself. Let God do that. Survivor's Club. So... Oh, those that really know me well know that I'm really interested in survival stories. And so I got this book here that I've read years ago that I went back to. And, you know, since we're talking about the remnant, I said, man, let me go. So listen, this book basically gives, uh, tells stories about people who've experienced major catastrophe and made it. And so, you know, for example, one of the things they discovered is, is that, you know, um, solitary confinement is like something that most people do not survive. People that are imprisoned as prisoners of war and so forth and so on. I mean, they, listen, everybody knows, doesn't matter how big and tough you are, if you're placed in solitary confinement, which is to be by yourself in the bottom of a prison, in a dungeon, this is what they do to people in Supermax. This is what they do to the terrorists that crash in the night, you know, these, these kinds of people, the people that, that plan these things. They put them in solitary confinement, and the purpose of this thing is to break somebody down to drive you crazy. You will go crazy if you are alone for extended and extreme periods of time. By the way, that's just a good point about the necessity of being a part of a church. Some of us are in church, but we're still lonely. We're still alone. We're still by ourselves. You are not designed. Many of you guys heard the tests and studies that were done years ago about babies who were born in an orphanage, and they, and they did a test on them to see if the babies would survive if they were never touched, and they found out the babies got sick and they all died because they were alone. The bottom line is Survivor's Club is basically unloading to us how people survive, and there are some people who have even survived uh, solitary confinement, and one of the things that they found out about people who survive solitary confinement, you say, you know what they do? It says they... they, they, they they, they, they start fights. It's crazy. They start fights with guards just so that they can have physical touch. He said, these guys don't go crazy because they stay in altercations. <laughs> if they don't start fights with the guards, that means they will always be deprived of social interaction. So they intentionally start fights. It says another thing that, that helps spare them is they, they, in a weird and deranged way, they actually love the sound of hearing other tortured inmates because it at least lets, it at least lets them know that they're not by themselves. <laughs> so uh, in particular, they, they, they talk about this, and I know my military people will like this. And this I'm throwing a bone right now to the, uh, those of you who are in the Air Force, but uh, they, there's an acronym uh, that, the, uh, that the military use, and it's, it's specifically for training people for those kinds of catastrophes. Now, when people go through those kind of POW experiences, uh, uh, even though they're trained for it, uh, you know, it's so much training you can get for real life situations, all right? 
But nevertheless, they still prepare these folk for these kinds of experiences. And I think you'll find it's interesting. So S-E-R-E means, uh, uh, I lost, I put the wrong, yes, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. That's the kind of training that it is, all right? Now, I want to read to you a quote out of the book. It says, only in the worst conditions, this is their mindset, only in the worst conditions can trainees begin to understand what it's like to be shot down or captured by the enemy. The more wretched and distressful, the better. Okay, all right, let me help you all out. What the book is saying is, is as they're trying to prepare people for these, for combat and for, for, the, for the extreme situations of being captured, they say the best way to prepare them is to, is to make the situation in preparation and in training as wretched and distressful as possible. That's right. That's right. All right? I'm going to just keep reading to you. It also says, it says the Air Force believes in something called stress inoculation. All right? Training operates like a vaccine. What's a vaccine? Somebody tell me what a vaccine is. What's a vaccine? Say it a little louder, huh? A vaccine? Somebody help me? Is anybody, anybody in the medical field? Someone raise your hand and stand and tell me what a vaccine is, please. Because I'm hearing so many. Does anybody know what a vaccine is? Yes, go ahead. You a nurse, sister? Uh-huh. Thank you very much. A vaccine is when, you know, it's like flu shot. They give you the flu to make you immune to the flu. Y'all missing this thing right now. Y'all missing this thing. So what they're saying is, is this hellish preparation that is wretched and distressful is a vaccine. In other words, they're giving you what you hate, what will ultimately kill you to make you immune to it. Says training operates like a vaccine. A small challenge to your system is supposed to prepare and defend you against much greater adversity. Anybody ever got the flu shot before and still got the flu? <laughs> but they say it works sometimes. I don't know. I don't get the flu shot. In other words, watch this. If you're follow this carefully, if you're exposed to enough hardship and pressure, watch this, guys. You'll build. You'll build immunity. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. His his. Um, his sister is a specialist in suicide prevention, and she says one of the things, one of the reasons why suicide is, is, is climbing at an alarming rate is because people are not used to adversity. They don't know how to deal. It used to say that black folk didn't commit suicide because we was always under adversity. We was just used to struggling. Come on, say amen. So when certain stuff hit other cultures, it didn't bother us much because we like we, we was born like that. But now many of us are growing up entitled. And the minute something happens, we don't know how to deal. I want you all to guess this now. It is a variation, and he goes on to say in, in, this, in this wonderful book that I encourage you to read. It's a variation on a classic psychological conditioning. Here it is. The more shocks to your system, the more you can withstand. This is what they know. This is not Bible. This is psychology. The more, the more adversity people endure, the more they can handle adversity. All right? So they have this thing, and I don't have time to put it here, but it's called the resistance lab. All right? It's called the resistance lab. Now watch this. The goal of the resistance lab is to basically simulate hell on earth. They have actors they have, they have high-ranking officials who come in and they basically behave like terrorists, like the enemy. And they say they make it as real as possible to the extent that, and you'll never hear of it, but so many, you know this, so many folks who have trained for battle have died in training. They've got to make it as real as possible so that in the event, now some, now I can see some of the cadets and I can see some of the, some of the folks in training complaining about the training, not realizing that the adversity is actually preparing them for what they're going to face. I don't have time to make the application. You can make it on your own. The goal, they say, this is the quote straight out of the book, is to simulate hell on earth. This is what it says. At every stage, the goal is to make you crack. Fail in your mission. At every step. They're they're training you. (laughs) They're pushing you to fail. To 
They're pushing you to, to crack. Watch this. The, the line is hitting the wall. This says, and then show you how to put yourself back together again. I'm going to bring you to failure and then show you how to come out of it. It's the part, it's a part of the training, all right? So watch this, what it says. It says, the first phase is called hitting the wall. The moment when you believe, you can't, and I'm still, I'm still reading for those who are listening online, I'm still reading from the book, The Survivor's Club by Ben Sherwood. The moment when you believe you can't take another step in the training, when you can't survive another minute, when you're willing to do anything to, ju- to just stop the misery, it says at that point, that's when you know that you've hit the wall, when you can't take no more. Now, what that simply means hitting the wall is that mentally you've hit a wall, but physically you have not. All of us have a wall in our minds where we say, I can't go any further. My wife talks about it. She runs marathons, half marathons and stuff like that. And, and, she, and I can't remember which mile it was, baby, but I think it was around mile number eight in the half marathon. She said she hit a wall. And then have you ever heard of a second wind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time when we say we can't take no more, that's you saying that. Many of you right now are living, hallelujah, in these hellish experiences, and you're saying to God, God, I can't take no more. God says, I see differently. And, oh, thank God. Thank God. I was reading about Moses the other day. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years because he killed somebody 40 years before. And then he went to the children of Israel and led them in the wilderness. Do you see how God prepares you for every experience? I got to take him through the wilderness for 40 years because I need him to lead people in the wilderness for 40 years. Whatever you're going through, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yielding to temptation right now. I didn't really want to apply it that quick, but y'all making me because y'all looking at me crazy. The reason why you're going through what you're going through, I know you heard it before, but you need to hear it again, is because this is preparation. This is hell week. Because something else is coming. You ain't ready for it. And God knows you got to go through it now. Oh, y'all not hearing me. And that critical moment goes on to say, when you're begging for food and rest, the trainers push you even harder. The purpose is to prove (laughs) that you're stronger than you know and that you can keep going Success, they say, doesn't depend on your size or strength. Instructors, quoting him, let me, let's lay this in you, tell me that the big strapping guys often crumble like blue cheese. This is what the guy is saying. He says sometimes they look at people and say, oh, look how strong, look how big, look, you know, look, blah, 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 blah. That's not what gets people through. Now, it says women who have gone through the pain of labor and childbirth, y'all know this is in the text, I can't know, but people are not seeing the connection here, are often much better survivors than the most muscular and athletic airmen because survival is all in your mind. See, in other words, what psychologists have, have come to understand in the realm of survival, and, and I was even reading a story about a, a ship that capsized, and it said people had to subsist on paper and their own urine to survive. They were stranded out in the ocean for 76 days. And it said the tough guys died, but the pregnant woman survived. Two reasons why she survived. She survived, number one, because she, because she, because she had already gone through some stuff. Number two, because she was living not for herself, but for somebody inside of her. So what, what it really is, it's not physical. Ah, oh, y'all not hear me now. It's how you think I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And it's really an adjustment in your thinking to believe that whatever I'm going through right now, God has got me. He has not left me. He's training me. Now, Satan is not creative. Only person I know that's creative is God and us. Do you realize Satan is not creative? God is the only one that can create, and we are the only ones that are creative with him. God is creator, so really he's above being creative. When, you can, when you're a creator, you don't really call yourself creative. Creative is simply, uh, is, simply, is simply adding on to what's been created. But God doesn't need to cre- be creative because he can just create. But Satan is not creative, and so what am I saying? He doesn't ever do anything new. That's right. That's right. Oh, please don't this. Satan does not do new things. 
Can I show you this? And this is why I, I got to just, that's why the church should stay creative. And the church should stay doing fresh and new things. Because the minute you start being repetitious, you're becoming satanic. God is a God of change. God is a God of, oh, y'all not hearing me now. Y'all better keep your eyes right here. God is a God that changes. How, how many of you are glad that you are not the same person that you were last year? You know what, you know what that means? The Bible says that you are a new creation. That new creative experience happens all the time, but Satan doesn't operate like that. You know why? Satan's thing is, I'm going to keep, if it works, I'm going to keep running it. Now watch what happens. The Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty, here's his strategy, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Don't miss that. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Verse 3, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the what? And you must not touch it or you will die. Okay, she got that part right. Verse 4, Satan fires back. You will not surely, certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, let me just tell you what you missed when you read that scripture. What that text did is just describe for you what Satan is doing in your life every day. He has one strategy. He runs that same strategy over and over again, and he's always going after women. In the beginning, he went after a woman. In, in, prof, in prophetic time right now, he's going after the woman, and he's now going after her children. He perceives, I'm going to go after what appears to be the weakest. Watch this. First thing we learn from that text is this, and I'm going to show you in prophetic history, Satan, how Satan is going to work in your life. This is the first thing he's going to do. He's going to disarm you with his disguise. He did not show up to Eve as Satan. Anytime Satan is trying to move you away from God, the stuff that you are fighting in your life right now, most of the time does not look like the devil. The stuff that we are, we are, the stuff that we compromise on, we wouldn't compromise if we saw the devil. If the devil showed up and said, I'm the devil, I want you to go and do A, B, and C. And anybody would follow him. Some folk would, but most of us wouldn't. So understand how he works. First thing he does is he disarms you with disguise. What does he do, everybody? Second thing he, he does is, is he gets you to doubt. Oh, thank you to God. God's promises. Wake up, church. Hear me this morning. He wants you, he disarms you within the disguise. And the first thing, what did he say to Eve? Did God say? That sounds real pretty, but basically what he's saying is, is God is a liar. The minute you start questioning God's promises in your life, you have already entered the realm of the deception of the devil. When you don't trust God, the, the third thing that he brings you to is, he says, had God said? And then, and then, he, then he insinuated that God was really trying to keep them from a good life. Oh, see, what, what you don't know is, Eve, is that God knows that when you eat of this, now, look how crazy the enemy is. He is convincing two people that have everything that they are missing something. One tree all of a sudden becomes attractive. And then you don't forgot how blessed you are. It's like the tithes and offering. You, he made, you got, God gave you a full check and, you, and you're tempted on 10%. You're going you to go to hell on 10 when you got 90. He convinces you that whatever, that God really does not have your best interest at heart and he doesn't mean what he said. He can't keep his promises and you got, don't trust him. Listen, saints, let me some ladies, oh, Lord, help me. This, Satan's goal is not to get you to keep, not to break the Sabbath. Satan's goal is to get you to distrust God. If Satan can get you to think at all that God is not really for you, then he's got you. Oh, don't hear me. Good work. Good work. It, Satan from the beginning, even in heaven, has had one desire. Make God look like him. Think of how ridiculous it is that you do not trust God. Think, think, 
Come on, son. Saints, we don't trust God. And the only way that he can convince us to do that is he has to make God look like himself. He can't be trusted. He's a liar. So watch what happens in prophetic time. Same thing. So what God has to do is, is God realizes that he has the advantage because he can lie and tell the truth at the same time. So you know what he does? not Watch what he does. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring. Catch that? Remember, he goes after the offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the prophecy is, is I see how Satan is going to come after you with stuff that you cannot even handle. Listen, some of us are so asleep at the deceptions that we don't have any clue right now. As you are sitting here in the house of God, there are diabolical, deceptive uh, uh, plans of the enemy that are being formed just for your life based on your upbringing, based on your family, based on how you spend money, based on how you eat, how you drink. He is that particular. And then you willy-nilly get up in the morning and you're not even in the word. Yo, Adam and Eve were deceived and they saw God face to face. Every day. You read your Bible when you feel like it and you got the nerve to think you ain't going to be deceived. You crazy. Let's just be real. Most of us in here have some part of our life that is under satanic deception. If you didn't, you'd be translated. So my prayer is always, God, lead me into truth. God, help me to see truth about myself. I don't want to live with any blind spots. I don't want to not know that I'm not pleasing you. God, I don't want to be deceived in the hell. And listen, if I go to hell, I want to choose to go there all by myself. I don't want to be, I don't want to be lied to. I want to know the truth. Some of you, we know what the truth is? You're not committed. You're lazy. You're angry and unforgiving and you still ain't got over it. You're scared. Scared to try, scared to fail, scared to succeed. Some of us are just too critical. Come on, talk to me, saints. Some of you have such low self-esteem that you end up projecting that on other people and nobody's ever good enough. And what I'm saying is, is know that your enemy is that formidable that he is able to look at your life and say, I'm going to custom design a, a trial and a temptation to pull them down. That the only way that you will not fall is if you have God's spirit in your life to keep you from falling. Satan's strategy. Listen to this. Satan is seeking to overcome men today as he overcame our first parents. By shaking their confidence in their creator and leading them to doubt the wisdom of his government and the justice of his laws. Satan and his emissaries represent God as even worse than themselves in order to justify their own malignity and rebellion. Translation, get them to dis- help them to have a low level of confidence in the word, give them a higher confidence in television, in Facebook, social media. Look, look I'm not saying that the devil invented social media. I think it'd be used for God. But let's just let's be honest. He knows our weaknesses. I was telling the church last week, why is it that when I first wake up in the morning, now, 20 years ago when there was no Facebook, why is it that I'm so tempted now to go check my mail? First thing I want to do, check my mail, check, check, see who like a picture. Come on, what the? Yo, and then take a look at at yourself sometimes in church on Sabbath. Many of us struggle, I'm I'm a living witness, to concentrate for a, for a period of time on what God is saying. Do you think that this is by accident? 
that we have such that nobody's in that word. Nobody is committed to prayer. People, listen, if you knew that Christ was coming tomorrow, your stuff will be different. But guess what? You know too much. You really know he ain't coming tomorrow. And you know how you convince yourself of that? Well, the Sunday blue law has not been passed. Oh, the, the, the seven plagues haven't happened yet. Come on, tell. I know. I, I, okay. For those of you who are in this church for a little while, come on, let's just be honest. Those things haven't happened yet. So, and I tell the truth. Is Jesus coming tomorrow? No, come on. Come on. Talk to me now. Y'all say that stuff all the time. Uh, Jesus could come tomorrow. No, he couldn't. Is Jesus going to come tomorrow? No, come on. Y'all scared to say it. Y'all scared to say it. Is Jesus going to come tomorrow? If you know your Bible the way you know it, is he coming tomorrow? Is he coming next week? Maybe not. And you know that. That's why you're not all in. But what you have not given, given consideration to is that you could be so deceived, so in the habit of living a sorry Christian life, that by the time those events happen, that you are caught off guard and you're not ready. Amen. So the Bible says the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. Does this sound familiar? All I'm trying to show you is, if he did it before, he's going to do it again. (laughs) Look, he he went after Eve, now he's coming after this woman. Y'all see it? He ain't changed nothing. Watch verse 14. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a times out of the servant's reach. So basically, God protected the woman again, and Satan is real mad. So verse 6 of Revelation 12 actually tells us about this time period again. It says the woman, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, same time period. So what I basically want to show you right now is during this 1,260 time period, we're going to see again what Satan's strategy is in your life. All right. He basically tried to take the church out, the woman, the church out in a 1,260 year time period and he failed. He failed because God protected the church through the wilderness. The same way that the enemy is going to fail <laughs> in destroying your life is by God keeping you in the wilderness. That's right. The only way that the church made it out of the dark ages, as we all know, in the tw- from 538... Uh, A.D. to 1798 B.C., I mean A.D., the reason why the church made it out, and most people wouldn't even know this, is because they were persecuted. <laughs> you read, you read Pl- uh, 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 was it? I think it's Pl- Plino, he, he's, a, he's a Greek historian, and Plino, who was there to witness some of those things, the historian says that the more they died, you ever heard that line, the more they multiplied. Y'all thought that came from gremlins, it, it actually comes from uh, church history. <laughs> The more they die, the more they multiply. Satan thought that persecution would get him, and it didn't work. So the church has basically four levels of church history that you need to understand, and you'll see it in your own life. Church was formed. That's the Acts of the Apostles, right? That's when the church was birthed. The church was deformed. That's the Dark Ages. The church was reformed. That's Martin Luther in them. And now the church in this day and age is going to be restored. Can y'all say that? Formed. Deformed, reformed, de- restored. You, if you tell somebody that, you know church history. It's just that simple. And, wh- and why is all this important, Pastor? Come on, just tell me, tell me how to live, like Pastor Coates said. Give me some tips on how to live. No, you need to know this, because if you know history, you'll know how not to repeat yourself. Twelve, sixty years. So what happened? What happened? Let's look at it real quickly and get out. The papacy. I'm being totally honest. The Catholic Church was basically birthed during that time period, and papal power was the dominant factor of church life. And what did they do? They, this, Satan basically worked through the papacy, disguise, to do two things. Insinuate false doctrine. What is false doctrine? It's basically getting you to doubt the word of God. Same thing. That's what I'm showing you. It's the same strategy. Disguises? How? This time, I'm not going to hide in the serpent. I'm going to hide in the papacy. Get them to doubt God's word? Put false doctrine in. And then get them to fear, which is basically to distrust God's character by persecution. Now, I'm just going to be honest. In most churches, the way that we get people to do stuff is through fear. 
Well, if y'all don't come out and pass out flyers this afternoon for the block party, y'all ain't, y'all ain't got the Holy Spirit. And neither do you, talking like that. If you can't convince people on God's love and his merit and his goodness to do stuff, and if you can't be convinced to do great things for God based on his love and his merit and his, and his goodness, guess what? Yes, you, you, yes you, are, you are, you are, you have issues. There's nothing else he can do to convince you. So watch this. I'm just showing you what happened. But the Bible says, tried to take them out through papacy, inquisitions, crazy stuff. But the Bible says, but the earth helped the woman. God did it again by opening its mouth, swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Satan turned his wrath on the woman, the Christian church. Turned his wrath on him. I'm going to tell you how he's going to do it in your life. All but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. All of them. All of them. Peter was hung upside down. Huh? They said, you know, Paul, y'all know what happened to Paul. He got his head chopped off by Nero. Some of them were skinned alive, burned at the stake. And all this was done to put intimidation in them for placing a value on God's word. Satan hates God's word. Church and state united in the days of Constantine. And what they want to do? Make church popular. So how do you make church popular? Because listen, I'm just saying, you can't make Jesus popular. Who wants to die? I'm not against being relevant and meeting people's needs, but I'm saying, when you start trying to make the church look like the world, inevitably what's going to go out the window is the Bible. And so Constantine accepted Christianity and said, man, how can we make Christianity attractive? How can we make it attractive? So one of the things, now, I'm not saying this is just understand what I'm saying. I'm just exposing you. One of the reasons why we have church buildings, because that was Constantine's way of trying to make the church attractive to the world. They were used to worshiping in pagan temples. And so the best way to do it is is to make it easy for them by transitioning to what they had already seen. And so the relics went up. Mary went up. All these things. And so basically it was just his way of trying to make the church look like the world. And I think we're doing the same thing in 2014. We compromise and try to do as little of the Bible as we can to try to attract people to Christ. And you can't do that. There's only one person that's going to draw people to Christ, and that's Jesus. It's his Holy Spirit. And if it can be seen in you, then folks will be drawn. Well, you know what happened. Listen to this. It says, the history of the Pope, volume 2, page 334, says this. Great numbers were driven from their habitations with their wives and children, stripped and naked, many of them inhumanely massacred. What is being said here is that in those days of persecution, the inquisitions and so forth and so on, they were of the mindset that anybody that was a Christian, that was a Christian who followed the thus saith the Lord of Scripture was an enemy to the state. And they would kill children. Murder. They would pile up bodies and strap them down, burn at the stake. You ever heard burn at the stake? Basically, burn at the stake is basically taking somebody, putting some incendiary below them, tying them down, setting it on fire, and watching them burn alive. And of course, you've heard some of the stories. I'm not going to rehearse it to you, but it says, as some of the folks would be dying alive, like John Huss, they'd be singing hymns to God. It's like, you're not going to take it from me. You can't, you can't force me. I'm going, I'm going to die giving him the glory. And then just think about your life. All I'm doing is just think about your life. You, you ain't really suffered like that. During the lives of the apostles, the church remained comparatively pure. But toward the latter end of the second century, most of the churches assumed a new form. The first simplicity disappeared and insensibility. As the older disciples retired to their graves, their children, along with new converts, came forward and and new modeled the cause. In other words, when the old heads died, they didn't do a good job of transferring the Bible to their children. Does that sound familiar? I would go so far as to say that in this room, 70, 50, 60s to 70% of those of you who have older children are not in church. Are not in the church. And there is a reason why. When you have a low value on God's word, this is the thing that happens. I'm not talking about a, a, a high value of his word at church. Let me keep reading here. To secure these converts, 
The exalted standard of the Christian faith was lowered, and as a result, a pagan flood flowing into the church carried with it its customs, practices, and idols. So what's the point here? Back in that day, let's make church as comfortable for the people of God as possible. And what happened? The customs of the world came in. In the church of God right now, (laughs) when you talk about sin, folk get offended. There used to be a day where there were certain things that just were identifiably wrong. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you can call yourself a Christian and live with your boyfriend. You can be a Christian and drink. And I've got some folks who've convinced me that ain't nothing wrong with smoking weed either. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. (laughs) Some of the choices of entertainment that we select. Some of the choices of entertainment that we select. Nobody's talking back to me now. That's all right. I'm going to preach it anyhow. Some of the choice of entertainment that we select and that Christians are a part of now, now it's all right. And all I'm saying to do is this. I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong, but isn't it interesting that as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord, that the church and the world look less different. And it's all in a mindset of we don't want to offend the world. And what I'm saying is, is that this is Satan's strategy to let us downplay the word so that we all are in deception. Let me, uh, listen. So, so you had to have people like Martin Luther raised up, who basically said, and here's the problem with many of you. The reason why many of you are, you're afraid to stand up in your little circles and say, this is not right. Martin Luther put his life and his job on the line and said, yo, all this stuff that's being taught, you've taken away the Bibles from the people. You're making them pay to get out of hell, purgatory, and limbo. You're making us worship priests and marry. I'm sorry, but the Bible doesn't say that. And when he did that, he was viewed. Has anybody noticed in the United States lately, freedom of speech is gone? You can't say from the pulpit, homosexuality is a sin. And you get cited. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. In Canada, we had a man preaching against homosexuality. And they took his pulpit. It's hate speech. And the church has bought into that mindset. We don't want to offend nobody no more. Men like Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. But the way that the church is deformed is when they get scared to preach the word of God. When they get afraid to stand on the word of God. So what, I'm weird. So what, I don't, I, I'm losing some friends. So, 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 so what, I'm not, I, that, that dude ain't gonna like me no more. And, and so what, my, my co-workers, uh, so what, I lose my job. I ain't working on the Sabbath. I'm not gonna do it. Not gonna steal God's money. I'm not, see, at some point in your life, you have to give what, what, what I love City Brooks calls axioms. Axioms is basically some fundamental values that you have that nobody can move you on. Told my kids the other day, because we had a number of people in our family getting divorced. And we had to, we had to tell, my, I tell my kids, we, me and your mother, I'm not, we're not getting divorced. That's something I'm standing on. If I divorce your mother, that means what I said in front of the church at Southeast 13 years ago is a lie. My love is not conditional. And my God, we need some folks with some guts in the church that are willing to stand for something. Stop being beholden to everybody and everybody's opinion and what they think about you. They don't have a heaven or hell to give you. My God, stand on the word of God. People will respect 
if you have some standards. Have no other gods before you. Don't tell lies. Have no idols. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Stand on something. I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm not going to listen to this music. Y'all don't want to hear this. This is old school preaching. But at some point in your life, you got to have some rules, some restrictions, some boundaries. you got to stand on something. The church has no power because the church has no guts. We want to start our own little churches where we can do whatever the, we want. Listen, if y'all were raised in the, in the days of John the Baptist, y'all would leave the church. Because when John the Baptist would preach, he told Herod, he, and, and, now listen, I'm not talking about on the side. He didn't go to him one-on-one and say, Herod, look, man, you, uh, you, you, you're sleeping with your sister and that ain't right. He said from the pulpit as he was preaching. Herod, you're an adulterer. Come out of sin. He would call people's sins out from the pulpit. But in our politically correct society now, you can't, people don't even want to hear you preach against sin. Listen, if you take away the law, then the gospel don't got no power. You know what the good news of the gospel is? That I couldn't keep it and he kept me. So the Bible, keeps, the Bible says God keeps helping the woman. She's sorry. She won't keep his commandments. False doctrine has gotten in her and God just keeps preserving her. And the, and the Bible says Satan just keeps on getting more and more mad. Now, I'm going to end here. You know what Satan's problem is? Satan's problem is this. And it's just this, this simple. Here it is. The warfare against God's law, which be, was begun in heaven, will be continued to the end of time. Did y'all hear that? What's the issue? What's Satan, what, what does Satan despise? It's right there in that sentence. The law of God. You know why he left heaven? Because he couldn't get with it. God's law, no, 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 watch this now. God's law is really God. That's right. That's right. The scripture says that his law is love. Love has restrictions. We don't want restrictions. We think love is license. Listen, you can, you can, you can determine the value of your love for somebody not based on the license that they give you, but based on the restrictions that the relationship imposes upon you. Can I help you out with that? I won't smack my mother in the face because I love her and because I know I might get hit back. Come on, say amen. But even now, I'm stronger than my mother. I'm more powerful than my mother. There was a day that she could get with me, but does anybody remember the day? Do you remember the day when the, when the last spanking that you received, it didn't work? I never shall forget that. My mother, I remember my mother gave me a spank. It was just before I went to Pine Forge. I mean, I'm 13 years old, saints. And I'm at least 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, and my short little 5'3 mother, she starts spanking me. And I had a look on my face like, you ain't doing nothing. And she went, so let me tell you, I'll show you exactly what she did. She said, oh, okay, I can't take my belt off because my mic is tight. But y'all know what she did. She just took the belt and closed <laughs> Now, I could have whooped her behind if I wanted to. I got the power. But because I love her, I impose restrictions. You can tell you love somebody not by what you're licensed to do, but what instructions you impose on yourself. Oh, y'all not hearing me. We think love is do whatever the, you want. Love is, is I refuse. I, 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 I got to put some boundaries here because I love them. That's why I don't have girlfriends in this church. That's why I'm not kicking it with people on Facebook. That's why I ain't going to flirt with your wife, brother. Not because I can't. 
I know a lot of preachers that do that stuff because they got the power and the position. Oh, y'all not hearing me. You know why I ain't doing that? Because I have too much respect for my wife. I love her, so I impose restrictions on myself. We don't want nobody to tell us what to do. Satan hated the restrictions, not knowing that the restrictions were guardrails to save his life. Anybody ever almost been in one of them car accidents that could have killed you, but you thank God for the median? You thank God for the guardrails? You used to come on, somebody! Look at this line. Every man will be tested. We will all go through resistance camp. Everybody's going to be pushed to a point of a, what, what, what was the line that I used early in the message? The, uh, 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 yes, yes. Uh, you, the, you're going to face a wall. Can I help you out? Up there? You know why? If God does not get you to a place where you have to, have to deny yourself, where you have to face yourself, then he is doing a disservice to you to prepare you for the things that are about to come in your life. I'm teaching my kids how to clean the kitchen. And, this, and just, just yesterday night, we were saying, go do the dishes. But I'm in such a habit, after I cook, I clean. I'm, actually, I like to cook while I'm cleaning. Come on, say amen. So, 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 so my kids are supposed to do the dishes. And you know what? In, in, in my habitual style, I got up and start helping. My wife said, no, back, what are you doing? You told them to do the dishes. If I don't allow them to fail at it, if I don't allow them to put dishes in the sink and they ain't really washed them, I've got to allow them, if I do it all for them, then I'm not preparing them to be good husbands or wives or good people later on. You have to, you, I, was talking, I was talking to a brother the other day. He said, look, man, the problem with this generation right now is we have, we have, we, they, they're entitled, we've spoiled them, and anytime they go through something small, then they all of a sudden feel like they, 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 the world is against them. Listen, brothers and sisters, you need to create crisis in some folks' lives. Some of y'all kids don't got to clean their room. Some of y'all, I mean, they just, I mean, ain't nothing. Don't got to get up in the morning. I tell this all the time. My daddy made me get up at five. For what? Nothing. I ain't had no job. Get up at five o'clock in the morning. Go clean the garage. We cleaned it yesterday. Go clean up somebody else's garage. You going to do something. I got to impose restrictions on you and boundaries because I want you to be ready for what's to come. That's a word. What am I saying? That what you are, you, if you're going to be a part of the survivors club, the only you got to get immunity first. You got to get a vaccine in you first. And the vaccine that God is putting in your life are hard times. You don't get stronger in love by being around people that love you. You get stronger in love by having some enemies. Anybody out here, thank God for some enemies. Telling somebody up there, I thank God for every hater. Come on in here. I thank God for every enemy. Thank God those are the folk that keep me fasting. Those are the folk that keep me praying. Those are the folk that keep me in his word. Father in heaven, what's about to come down on this planet, what many of us are getting ready to face, the good news is we don't have to be afraid because you put a vaccine in us. That vaccine is your grace to make it through tough times, tough circumstances, tough situations. And while we're complaining about it, while we're bellyaching about not having any money and not having what we want and being single and going through God, you're using all these things to prepare us. But what you want us to do during this time is put some trust in your promises. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That whatever you promised, you're going to do. Ha! Yes, God. That whatever you said, you will come true on it. God, may we never get to a place that when we're going through, we start questioning God. God, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You will never turn your back on us. God, you will be there for us even in the hard times. You're using it to work it out for my good. Right now, somebody right now, you're in training camp. You know it, you're in training camp. You're in hell week. You're in hell week. 
You're going through it right now. If you're here, just come down right now. You're going through it right now. If you're in it right now, just come down right now. If you're in it right now and you're going through it right now, come. If you're in it right now, if, 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 if the struggle is real right now. You know, as I was reading this thing, yo, can I blow your mind real quick? Man, as I'm reading this thing, it says that when they train people to be POWs, you know what they do? They study what they're afraid of. And if, you got, if you're afraid of snakes, you know what they're going to do? They're going to throw you in a pit with a bunch of snakes. Real true story. If you're afraid of dogs, they're going to they're gonna let dogs loose on you. Y'all not hearing me. I'm like, for real? They do this stuff? They said the only way that you can get over your fear is you got to face it. Some of you are trying to avoid some stuff right now, but you got to face that thing. God is telling you right now, you've been afraid of some stuff in your life for far too long, but the only way you're going to get over it is you got to face it and see that I'll be with you. Father, we're here, we're here this morning, and we're simply saying, whatever you got to do to save us, we give you permission. Whatever we got to go through, we trust you. We will not allow the enemy to steal our trust and confidence in God. No matter what we have to experience, we will trust you. We know that what you're working out in our lives is going to be for our good. We know that it's nothing but preparation for the next storm that is to come. And we're getting wiser. We're getting stronger. We're getting better. We're getting more resilient. We're getting deeper in your word. We're getting better in prayer. We're becoming more forgiving. We're becoming more loving. God, we're better people and we thank you because of it. Ah, thank you, God, that you you know what you're doing. Thank you that you're the all-wise, all-knowing God from the beginning to the end. You know what's best for us. God, help us to obey you even in the midst of a storm. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You may return to your seats. Praise God.